Thank you for listening today. Dr. Lori Hess is a leading exotic animal veterinarian with a busy veterinary practice in Bedford Hills, New York. If you need more information on any Zupreme product or have questions for Dr. Lori, go to our website at www.zupreme.com where you can contact us. Make sure to follow us on Facebook for more information on upcoming podcasts, education, and Facebook fun. Welcome to the Zoo Nation podcast channel brought to you by Zupreme. Zupreme makes healthy food for pet birds, rabbits, guinea pigs, and ferrets. If you're listening today, your home has probably experienced the love and happiness of owning a non-traditional or exotic pet. We know it's a zoo in your home sometimes. Here's Dr. Lori now to help you learn more about the care of that special pet in your home. I'm Dr. Lori Hess, Director of Pet Health and Nutrition for Zubreem, and you're listening to podcast number 14. Today, we're going to talk about it takes all kinds, meaning it takes all kinds of birds to be terrific pets for different people. Um, not all birds are great for every person, so if you're thinking about getting a bird as a pet, you should certainly do your research and learn a little bit about the different types of birds and what kind of behavior they have, what little idiosyncrasies they have, how loud they are, you know, what they're like, uh, so that you can find the bird that's right for you if you're considering a bird as a pet. Now, obviously birds are, come in all different sizes. Typically, we talk about parrots, and we talk about passerines, which are the canaries and the finches. And so the littlest birds that we usually keep as pets are the little tiny guys, the canaries and the finches. And they're terrific if you're looking for a bird that maybe you don't wanna handle so much, but you wanna watch. Um, finches are terrific little birds. They're very active. They do terrifically when they're put together. Um, they, they like to live in social groups. And the thing about finches is that they're kind of addictive. If you have one or two, typically you end up getting more. Um, they're very prolific breeders, so you may not want more, but you may end up with more anyway. And they're just really fun and active to watch. Um, they have all different kind of color patterns, beautiful feathering. Some of the Gouldian finches as we've seen are the really beautifully bright colored finches. Um, owl finches look like little mini owls, very tiny little ones. Um, they're all, all different kinds of finches. So if you're looking for a bird that you want to watch, um, you want to interact with, but maybe not handle, not pet like a cat or a dog, maybe a small bird is like a finch would be right for you. Uh, another small bird that's a terrific, terrific bird to look at is a canary. Canaries are wonderful to view, but they're also incredible to listen to. And if you've never heard a canary sing, you know, just take some time and you can go on the internet even and listen to a male canary sing during breeding season. They are like opera singers. They're absolutely incredible. Um, male canaries sing to woo their female counterparts. And if you get two male canaries in a room together and they're competing for a female, they don't even have to see the female. In fact, years ago, I had a canary. I've had canaries my whole life. And I had wanted to stimulate singing in the, the male. And the breeder, actually, who I had gotten my canary from, said to me, you know, don't get a female and don't put a female in the cage with the male, he'll stop singing. Don't put two males together because they might fight, but put two males in the same room 
in the springtime when they're breeding and they will duel each other in song and she was absolutely right it was incredible so if you're interested in music and you want a, a beautiful bird to look at often they're very pretty they're yellow and orange and red all different kinds of patterns um, depending upon what type of canary you're looking at uh, but really what canaries are known for is their their beautiful musical talents. So that's a, a terrific bird for someone who wants to listen to the bird, not necessarily cuddle or hold a bird, although you can hand tame a canary. Um, going up from there, you have parakeets or budgies, budragars, you have lovebirds, um, you have parallettes. These are other small birds that are very handleable. And terrific for families who are looking for maybe a first bird with if they have young children in the house and you want to have a bird who can't really inflict a big bite, uh, a bird that can be hand tamed to sit on your finger to come out um, that are generally fairly gentle. Uh, cockatiels are a little bit bigger than the budgies and the lovebirds and the parallettes, these very small birds. Um, they're wonderful for families, again, with slightly older children. Um, cockatiels can live 20 plus years. I've seen them live to close to even 30. And they're very interactive. Um, they talk. Um, they're very personable. They bond to their owners. They're one of my favorite birds as first birds for families. Going up from there, there are conures. Conures are a little bit bigger than your average cockatiel, a little meatier looking. Um, they tend to be a little loud, so you just have to be prepared that if you're going to have a conure in your house, you don't have neighbors who are sensitive to noise and that you're not sensitive to noise. Um, there are some other birds slightly larger than that, some of the mini macaws, um, there are caiques, some of my favorite birds. I own a caique. They're sort of medium-sized parrots, um, full of personality, very clownish. Um, there are pionises. I happen to own a pionis as well. They're uh, sort of a medium-sized bird as well, a little quieter. Jardines parrots are a little bit bigger than that. Um, then you get into some of the slightly larger birds, eclectus parrots, cockatoos. Um, the Amazon parrots are larger. Um, then there are the macaws, which are the largest, and there are all different kinds of macaws. So there are a whole range of different types of birds, different sizes. I didn't talk about every single type of bird, but you get an idea that you can have a bird as small as a finch or as large as a very large macaw. The hyacinth macaws are the very largest of the macaws. They're, they're big and blue. And these are all domesticated birds that, you know, have been kept as pets, but they're all very different. And obviously the larger the bird, the larger the space that you need to house this bird. In general, birds like to have as much space as possible because obviously they fly in the wild and they're not confined. So if you're going to have them in your house, you really need to have a cage um, where they can stretch out and they can move around. And if you have a big hyacinth macaw in your house, you really need a very, very large cage, ideally something you can walk into as opposed to something that just sits on a stand or a tabletop. Now, we know that, you know, different birds look differently, different breeds of birds look differently, um, but they certainly can act differently too. And different bird breeds are certainly known for their different personalities. Um, not all birds follow these rules, but in general, uh, we know that, for example, parallettes, uh, one of the little bird species that uh, we work with, one of the little bird breeds, um, they have big personalities. And we joke about them having big personalities trapped in these little tiny bodies. They can be pretty headstrong. I love them, but they 
definitely let you know that they're the boss. They're big birds trapped in these little teeny bodies. Um, some budgies can be like that too. Uh, budger guards, they can have strong personalities. Um, kaiks, I've mentioned, you know, are very, very silly and clownish and they tend to be very easygoing. Um, Pionuses tend to be very soft spoken. Um, they don't tend to scream a lot like conyers do. Conyers are generally louder, um, very active birds. Um, Eclectus parrots have been known to, they have a a kind of reputation as well. Female eclectuses are the bright red ones typically, and they are known to be pretty stubborn and kind of bossy, um, as opposed to their male male counterparts, the male eclectuses, the green birds, who are known to kind of be loving and a little bit bigger, dumber kind of guys, you know, not quite as headstrong as the females. So, and again, not all birds follow these rules. But this is sort of their general reputation. Um, I didn't mention African gray parrots, very popular birds. They're slightly larger parrots. Um, They're known to be incredibly smart. They have an incredible vocabulary. We know that um, some African grays can have vocabularies of literally hundreds of words. So they're very, very intelligent. Their intelligence is likened to that of a, a human toddler. And they live a long, long time. So if you're going to have an African gray parrot in your house, you have to be prepared to spend quite a bit of time with them. They need a lot of stimulation because they're so smart and they can get bored and they can become destructive both to themselves, you know, picking on their feathers and their skin and their environment if they are bored and they don't get enough stimulation, social stimulation. Cockatoo parrots in general are wonderfully sweet birds, but they're very, very socially needy. Uh, They really need to be around people and they need contact. They need to be touched and to be, have their head scratched and they need to physically be near their owners. Um, They, they love to be out in there and be with their families, their caretakers. So if you have the kind of lifestyle where you're not home a lot, then perhaps a cockatoo is not the best choice for you. Um, Amazon parrots, you know, they're the green parrots that typically throughout history have been seen on the shoulders of a pirate. Um, They are long-lived. Sometimes they can be a little bit stubborn too. Very intelligent. Uh, They speak very well as well as African greys. They can be taught many, many words. Um, They can be a little squawky. I should mention the cockatoos too can be quite loud and and scream quite a bit. So again, if you have close by neighbors, if you're sensitive to noise, cockatoos, Amazons, certainly some of the larger macaws can be very, very loud. Now macaws have very long tails. They need uh, a lot of space. They can live 40, 50, even 60 years in captivity. So you have to be prepared to have a bird like that a long, long time. Um, they're very intelligent. They need a lot of attention. They also need to chew on a lot of things. Remember in the wild, they're chewing on nuts and they're chewing, really breaking them open with their very strong beaks. They're chewing on lots of wood and they need to chew things. Um, cockatoos, African greys, Amazons do need to chew things as well. Um, you know, it's part of what they do in the wild and you have to be prepared to give them wooden objects, wooden toys, um, things that are safe for them to chew on. Uh, cockatoos and African greys are big shredders. They love to shred up paper things, softer woods, cardboard. Um, so those are things that, you know, they have that innate ability to shred and to tear. 
And what may seem to be destructive is sort of part of their normal behavior. If you don't provide them with the appropriate things to destroy, to tear up, they may, you know, go at your furniture or damage things in your house that you don't want them to. So those are the birds that really need, you know, to be very manipulative with their beaks. Um, these are all things to think about when you're considering these different species. Now, there are some pretty cool things that um, are kind of neat things that you might want to uh, know about if you're if you're thinking of getting a, a particular type of bird as a pet. Um, we know that all female birds, um, except for the brown kiwi, which uh, is a bird found in Australia, not typically kept as a pet, um, that that bird doesn't meet a lot of the the, uh, the follow the same rules as some of the other parrots do, but. Um, most parrots have only one ovary. The kiwi uh, breaks the rules and sometimes has a right ovary as opposed to a left ovary. But parrots in general, female parrots, have a left ovary only, unlike women who have two ovaries. So that's kind of a unique thing. Um, birds in general can go, they have very hollow bones because they fly. Their respiratory tract extends actually into their bones, um, in their arms and, and in their wings and in their legs, and it makes their bones lighter. So when they're flying, they don't have these big heavy bones to drag around. Um, they have air sacs, which are look like little clear, almost looking like plastic bags. They're not plastic, but they're clear little sacs that are extensions of their respiratory tract that are involved in their breathing um, that make them uniquely susceptible to a lot of uh, aerosolized things, uh, dusts and toxins in the air. But it, 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 these air sacs really make them much lighter when they fly and give them the ability to fly long distances. Remember, birds are traveling over the ocean sometimes when they're flying and there's nowhere to land. Um, many birds can go a long, long period of time as well without drinking. Budgies actually can go, they're an Australian species, and, and they really can go weeks to months without drinking. Now, certainly this is not something you want to try at home. If you have a budgie, you should certainly offer that bird water every day. But know that they are equipped to conserve water so that they can fly over long distances without having to stop for a drink. Um, birds in general conserve water better than mammals do. They produce uric acid, which is that white chalky substance that's in their droppings. Um, you know, the, in the droppings themselves, they have that brown green part, which is the stool. They have the clear liquid, which is actually the urine. And then they have that white chalky part, which is actually uric acid, the concentrated part of the urine that uh, enables them to, you know, hold back some liquid in their body um, so they don't become dehydrated. Um, so that's a really cool feature that birds have that mammals don't have. Um, birds also see a wide range in, of colors. They see ultraviolet light, unlike we do. While we see colors, they see different colors and a broader range of colors. So what may look like one color to us may look like a totally different color to a bird. And colors are very important uh, to birds in terms of a, a very important sense that they respond to. When you think about it, um, male birds in the wild tend to be 
the more uh, brightly colored of the pair of females and males. And that's because they're trying to attract or woo those females during breeding season. So most of the time, um, if birds do look different, if a different a particular species, a particular breed of bird looks different, the male and the female looks different, the male is typically the brightly colored one. And the female tends to be a little more muted than the males. Um, when we talk about the differences between males and females, not all breeds of birds are what we call sexually dimorphic, meaning that the males and the females look dif different. There are plenty of types of birds where the males and the females look exactly the same. Um, that's true of uh, African greys, um, many macaws, um, many conures, uh, cockatiels look a little different in terms of their feathering, but it can be subtle. Um, then there are some types of birds where they are dramatically different, the males and the females. I mentioned um, eclectus parrots. You know, eclectus parrots in general, you know, look totally different. The females are very, very red. Um, sometimes they have purple feathers as well, and the males are bright green. So it's it's obvious the difference between them. Um, Cockatoos can look subtly different in terms of eye color. Um, males tend to have darker eyes than the females whose eyes can be red, but it can be very, very subtle and hard to tell. So unless um, the, the type of bird is one where the male and the female are totally different, when someone brings a bird into my animal hospital for me to examine, often I will have to do a blood test to uh, check genetically, check DNA to determine whether the bird is a male or a female. And people wonder, you know, is that important? Should I know whether my bird is male or female? And the answer is yes. If it's not obvious, if you don't have that kind of bird when the males and the females look totally different, it is important for you to know because we know that females um, can lay eggs without males. Um, they're not fertile eggs, but they do lay eggs just like chickens lay eggs that are infertile. And they can get into a whole host of reproductive problems. So, you know, if you do have a pet bird, you do want to know if you have a female bird because female birds, um, you know, can lay eggs. And if they are acting sick in any way, and if you bring that bird to a veterinarian, your veterinarian will want to know whether you have an, a potentially egg-laying female or if it's a male bird, then obviously that's not something to be concerned about. Um, so uh, different breeds of birds can look different. Cocktails, for example, look subtly different, as I mentioned. Um, most wild type, like the average cockatiel that you see, the the yellow and white and gray cockatiels that we see that fly around in Australia, um, they all start with little stripes underneath their tails and um, sort of dots on the inside of their wing feathers. And after approximately a year of age, the males lose those stripes under their tails and they lose those dots inside their wing feathers underneath their wings and the females retain them. So that can be a very subtle way to tell the difference between males and females. Um, budgies, it can be tough, um, but in, but typically male budgies ha have a blue sear. The sear is the little area around their nostrils, um, and the females tend to have a sort of a pink or brown sear. Um, the sears in that area around the nostrils can look very similar when the budgies are very young, uh, and then it can change color as they age. 
Typically, females, when they become reproductively active, will get kind of like a browning or even a sort of crustiness around their nostrils, around that sear area. And that's from hormone surges that occur during um, ovulation. So even if they're not actively laying, females may get that crusty brown. It's called brown hypertrophy of the sear. And that can be a way that we tell uh, male and female budgies apart. But it can be very subtle and, you know, there are some uh, breeds of birds where, you know, unless you're breeding them all the time and you see them every day, it can be really, really hard to tell the difference between a male and a female. Um, so those are kind of some neat little differences between males and females. Now, there are some really unique characteristics to particular breeds. For example, African greys. African grey parrots, when they get stressed, can actually have red tears. Um, they look kind of bloody, and if you've never seen a red tear come out of an African grey's eye, the first time you see it, it can be really distressing. I remember when I um, was a young veterinarian, I had just started out, and I was holding an African grey parrot in one of the exam room at the animal hospital, just you know, examining, examining the bird as I usually do. And um, the bird was squawking a little bit, wasn't seemingly too stressed, but then I noticed that there was this bloody dripping coming from the bird's eyes, and I was just overwhelmed. I, I wasn't aware of this incredible feature that... Uh, that uh, African greys have and I was so distraught I thought I had caused some damage or some harm to this bird but what I realized it was just a, a something that they do when they're stressed and it stopped and it went away and obviously I've seen that many many times over the years and um, I just let the owners know when they're in the exam room with me if they're watching me examine their birds that this is a possibility and I'm not hurting their bird it's something you probably haven't seen at home if you own even if you own an African grey because birds have to be stressed to do this and most birds are pretty calm in their own environments. So that's something that's really unique. Um, we know that most parrots have a preen gland um, at the base of their tail. It's also called the uropygia gland. It's a gland that releases sort of a waxy substance as they preen. You'll see them stick their face down by the base of their tail and rub their beak over their preen gland and they collect some secretions there, some oily secretions that they then preen the rest of their body with to coat their feathers. Um, this coating has a waterproofing function. It's believed to also have um, what we call an antimicrobial function, meaning it protects against uh, bacteria in many ways. Um, and it's a really cool little organ that most birds have, but Amazon parrots don't have a preen gland. So that's something kind of unique to the Amazons. I, when I do my uh, physical exam in front of owners in the exam room, I will often, you know, recite what I'm doing. I'll say I'm looking at the eyes, I'm looking at the wings. And I have to remember that when I get to the base of the tail, and I typically do things in the same order, I have to remember there is no preen gland there. Um, the preen gland is kind of a, a lumpy heart-shaped gland over the top of the base of the tail there on the top side, just uh, lower down on the back of birds. So if you're ever feeling your bird's back, you'll feel it there. But remember, if you have an Amazon parrot, you're not going to feel that, and that's normal. Um, we talk about feathers a lot in birds because it's one of the unique characteristics that birds have is that they make feathers. Most people um, who have birds are aware of the fact that birds molt in the sense that they um, 
they push out the old feathers with new feathers that grow in and they do this in sort of a sequential way um, over a period of weeks to months uh, the new feathers start to come in and push the old feathers out they grow out of the follicles just like we have hair follicles birds have feather follicles and when feathers first come in you know, they have a shaft, they have sort of a hollow shaft when they're all the way pushed out, but that shaft is actually filled with blood initially. It's like a straw filled with blood when they first uh, are pushed through the skin. And for a period of several days, the, the blood is retained within the shaft of that feather so that if you knock that feather or the feather gets cut or it's pulled out during the time, that it has blood in it when it first comes in, the feather can bleed and it ble bleeds really profusely. And, and very frequently, you know, um, I'll get emergency calls in the middle of the night from bird owners who are saying, oh my gosh, my bird's wings are bleeding, you know, what do I do? And, and typically it's because they flapped and they've uh, traumatized their wing in some way and they haven't broken a bone or anything, but they just have a bleeding blood feather. So if this ever happens to you at home, you want to just put pressure on the end of that feather, on, on that cut in the feather. Um, take a piece of paper towel or a little washcloth um, and just put pressure on it. And typically it will clot after a few minutes. Um, if it doesn't, you can try some other things like you can sprinkle... Um, if you have styptic powder, you know, and if you if you shave uh, at home and you have a little styptic powder, you can put it in the cut end of the feather um, in a pinch. You can put flour, um, cooking flour. If you don't have any styptic powder, it can help uh, clot the end of the feather. You can even melt candle wax or... Um, uh, put a little uh, soap in the end. Those are all things you can do in a pinch if your bird has a blood feather that's broken and bleeding a lot and you can't get to the veterinarian. Um, at the veterinarian's office, typically what we'll do is we'll actually pull the broken feather out, um, but those feathers are rooted very, very deeply um, in bone. And if you try to pull them out um, and you don't know what you're doing, you can really damage the wing and you can cause terrible, terrible pain. It would be kind of like pulling your fingernail out. So I don't recommend people do that at home. Um, so that's another thing that's sort of unique to birds is they have these incredible feathers that have blood in them. Um, we mentioned air sacs, which are these really unique uh, little air-filled bags that are throughout the body of the bird. They're under the skin. They extend into some of their bones and their upper wing. Um, they are inside their chest, inside their belly, and they help the bird breathe in a very unique way. You know, when we breathe, we breathe in and out and in and out. Birds actually have sort of a circular breathing pattern so that every time that they're breathing in, they're also breathing out. It's kind of a uh, very special and very complicated, very unique. And it makes my job as a veterinarian very challenging because I have to understand this whole system. And if you try to anesthetize or put one of these birds under anesthesia, it's very complicated and you actually have to know exactly what you're doing because the bird has a completely different type of breathing cycle and breathing apparatus from a mammal, um, like a cat or a dog or even a person. Um, what else? Um, birds have different shaped tongues depending upon what types of birds they are. Now we know that birds in the wild uh, eat all different kinds of things. Some birds are eating bugs, some birds are eating berries, some birds are eating vegetation, some birds are eating nuts, and it's pretty interesting but not all birds' tongues are the same. Um, the tongue, for example, in a lorikeet, uh, birds again that live in Australia, um, are kind of, uh, they're shaped to suck up nectar 
Um, and hummingbirds have this too, where they can be sort of straw-like. Um, canaries and finches, uh, actually lorries have like a little brush on the end of their tongue. Finches and canaries have more of a cone-like tongue um, to adapt to what they're eating, the flowers and things in the wild. Parrots, we know, have a very muscular tongue, very, very strong muscle, and a very strong beak and strong jaws because they're cracking hard things. They have hooked bills so that they can crunch on nuts and hard things in the the wild. Um, so it's very interesting to see how different breeds of birds have adapted to their environments, their wild environments, so that they can um, best eat and, and do what they need to do in the wild. Not something we typically think about when we have them as pets, but the next time you look at these different types of birds, realize that their tongues, their jaw, their beak um, is shaped for a particular reason to accomplish something for them in the wild. Um, so these are all kind of interesting facts about birds. Um, birds also, as we mentioned before, have, you know, different vocalizations. Um, some birds are very shrill. Um, lorries can be very, very shrill and very loud. Conyers are extremely loud and squawky. Um, some of the bigger parrots, we know cockatoos can make a lot of noise. They're very talkative. African greys, um, some of the macaws can be very, very loud. And then there are other birds, you know, that make a lot of sound, like canaries, as we mentioned, but they, they typically will give small chirps. And then when they are louder, they're making a beautiful song. Um, some birds are a little quieter, a little more gentle, like Pionis parrots, as I mentioned before. Um, sometimes Jardines parrots are a little quieter too. You know, I'm sure there are other birds out there. There are some Jardine owners who will tell you differently that their birds are a little more squawky. Um, but in general, the, this is the reputation of these birds. Um, cockatiels make some noise. They're, they tend not to scream like big birds. So again, if you live in an urban environment, in, a, in an apartment, and you're looking for sort of a smallish to slightly medium-sized bird. Um, cockatiels are great because they don't make a lot of noise. They're really interactive and they can live a really long time. So if you're considering getting a bird, you might want to do the research first to see what noise level you can tolerate um, from a bird. Birds do make noise in the wild, typically at dawn and at dusk when they're feeding and they're traveling. So even though you know it's not socially acceptable for us to have them in our home squawking, if you're gonna have a bird, you need to know that they are gonna make some noise and you have to be willing to accept that. Um, but you should check this out. Check out the noise level of the bird that you're thinking about before you take one home. Now, I'm often asked, what are great starter birds for children of families who want to own a bird but have never had a bird before? And I mentioned before that if you're really, if you have some young children in your family, maybe, um, you know, early elementary school age children, I do recommend um, budgies. I think they're terrific little birds. They're very interactive. You can teach them to talk. You can teach them to be finger trained. But if they do nip you, again, they're not going to cause huge damage like a big macaw or an Amazon or a cockatoo who can really injure little teeny uh, fingers. Um, they do live into their teens, potentially, if you treat them well and you give them proper nutrition, a pelleted diet. Um, I also am a big fan of, you know, parrotlets are great little birds. Lovebirds are great little birds, too, um, for families with young children. You just have to be careful that, you know, they're not out and they don't get into problems. They don't, um, you know, get uh, fly around the cage and, and fly out of the cage and fly out a window or anything like that or a door. So young children should always be super 
supervised if they're going to try to hold or interact with these little teeny birds. Cocktails are probably my number one favorite bird for families with slightly older children, um, middle age, elementary school age and up. Um, they are very interactive, live a long time, have huge personalities, definitely can say words, um, and definitely bond to their owners very closely. So I love cockatiels. Um, some middle-sized parrots, um, the caiques, I, I talk about a lot. I think they're really fun, relaxed birds. Um, those are great for families, too, with maybe slightly older children um, in, in junior high school, high school. Um, and then up from there, I think, in general, I don't recommend larger birds for families with children because I think the larger birds, again, are more needy. They need more time with their families. Most families are really busy. There's a lot going Going on in the family, um, particularly if there's children, there's usually a lot of activities inside the house, outside the house, and um, people may not have the right amount of time to spend with these very, very smart birds that need a lot of intellectual stimulation. Some of the bigger birds, like African greys or cockatoos. Um, or the macaws or the Amazon parrots, um, eclectus parrots. Those are larger birds. And the other thing about having a larger bird, if you have a child, that um, that child's probably going to grow up and uh, move out of the house and go to college somewhere and leave you behind with this very long-lived bird. And I'm going through that right now. I have uh, children who are college age, and I, we had parrots in our house forever, and I'm going to have those parrots forever now. So all the birds that used to be taken care of by my kids are now my responsibility because the kids have grown up and those birds can live dozens and dozens of years. So it is something to think about. And if you have um, older people in the family who are really uh, the primary caretakers for some of these older parrots, these larger parrots, these parrots may outlive some of the, your older family members. So it's something to think about. Again, how long do you want to have a bird um, in your home? How, how long are you ready to care for a bird in your home? Um, and you also have to think about other pets. Um, lots of people have cats and dogs and other animals like bunnies and some reptiles. I mean, certainly I treat all kinds of fun things in people's homes. Um, if you're going to have a bird in your house, you do have to think, you know, how can I set up my home so that the bird can come out and have activity um, and get out of the cage, but not be at risk for being injured by, you know, a, a naturally predatory pet like a dog or a cat. And dogs and cats can be wonderfully friendly and love birds and I hear all the time about how the bird was hanging out on the back of the dog or hanging out near the cat and as much as that sounds so adorable and romantic, it's not something that I recommend because I really think that, you know, in, in an instant, a bird um, might, you know, be a play toy for a dog or a cat. A dog or a cat may want to pick up that bird and just be gentle to it and carry it around in its mouth. But that dog or cat could really inflict some serious damage with the teeth and even the saliva and all the germs that dogs and cats have in their mouths that are foreign to birds. So I do think um, if you're going to have a bird, you must have an arrangement where the bird can come out of its cage and live very safely in the house and you can shut out the dog or a cat. Never, never trust them all together. Um, 
you know, and if you live in a one-room studio apartment, having a bird that needs to come out is probably not the best situation if you have a dog or a cat or a rabbit or a reptile. I mean, there are some reptiles, you know, some snakes and some lizards that in the wild eat little birds. So you wouldn't want to have, you know, a little lovebird or a little parakeet or a finch or, or some other small bird around potentially a carnivorous reptile. It sounds silly, but, um, you know, many people have multiple pets and it is something you do need to think about. So it, there is no reason that you can't have dogs, cats, and other animals, bunnies, guinea pigs, um, you know, reptiles in the same house with a bird. You just have to set up their living environments so that everyone has a space and that you're supervising and that you just don't leave them alone together unsupervised for, you know, some problem to happen. Um, but you certainly can have multiple pets in one home. I, I certainly have had over the years of my lifetime um, cats and dogs and birds and guinea pigs and all kinds of animals in the same house. And everyone gets along just uh, with caution. So birds come in all shapes and all kinds of sizes. And I do recommend that before you think of bringing one into your home, you do your research. Many birds are incredibly cool. We've talked about all kinds of interesting features that birds have uniquely to them and that they don't share with mammals and that certain breeds of birds have unique things over other breeds. Um, but the temperament and the size and the personality and the demands that different birds have um, are very, very important to consider when you're thinking of taking a particular kind of bird home uh, as a pet for, for a long term. So I hope today that you've learned a lot about different types of birds. And remember that when you're listening to Zoo Nation throughout these episodes, you should follow our Zupreme Facebook page where we're going to have posts before every show where you can ask me questions to answer on the show. Maybe you have a particular question about a particular breed of bird you're considering. Um, you're also going to see some sneak peeks to episodes that you may have missed there as well. And remember, if you have any questions, feel free to contact us at one 345-4767 or at customercare at supreme.com. This is Dr. Lori Hess and you're listening to Zoo Nation. Thanks so much for listening today. Thank you for listening today. Dr. Lori Hess is a leading exotic animal veterinarian with a busy veterinary practice in Bedford Hills, New York. If you need more information on any Zupreme product or have questions for Dr. Lori, go to our website at www.zupreme.com where you can contact us.